Welcome to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne. The American psychotherapist and culture analyst Eric Fromm argued that religion is any system of thought and action shared by a group which gives the individual a frame of orientation and an object of devotion. A frame of orientation and an object of devotion. Now, in Christianity, the object of devotion is the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him and trusts themselves to him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And all this made real by God's Holy Spirit. And as for the frame of orientation, what does it consist of? According to Fromm, it is a roadmap or consistent philosophy by which we find our way around through the world. A road map orients you to a journey. And where do we find the Christian's frame of orientation? It's road map for life. We turn to scripture to find out. And when we do, friends, what do we find there? Well, from a literary point of view, we find a comedy. Yes, a comedy. Strange though that may sound to our ears. It's not in the comedy sense of a modern sitcom or Bluey or the Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's a specific kind of literature. It has to do with how the Bible's plotline, narrative, unfolds from beginning to end. That unfolding has the literary shape of a comedy. In the Bible, beginning with the book of Genesis, book one, and ending with the book of Revelation, book 66, we find a plot line with a particular shape. What's that shape? Well, we start with harmony, as in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Harmony, human harmony with God, with one another, and with our environment. A harmony which Scripture says, quoting God, is very good. But next comes the fall, the fall from relational harmony. Evil enters the world as humankind defects from its creator, and disharmony follows from Genesis chapter 3 right through to Revelation chapter 20. Relational disharmony, disharmony with God, disharmony with one another, disharmony within ourselves, disharmony with our environment. And that deepest part of the disharmony wrought by evil exhibits itself on the cross of Christ. 
where the innocent Son of God is crucified. However, harmony will be restored. Revelation chapter 1, 21 and 22, the very last chapters in the Bible. The promise of a new world that is coming in which right relationships will be at home. <laughs> as one New Testament letter puts it. And the key turning points in this unfolding plotline narrative are historical events. The coming into the world of Jesus, the death of Jesus for the sins of the world, for yours and for mine, and the resurrection of Jesus defeating death, the key events of the first advent or coming, which we celebrate at Christmas and at Easter. As for the future, the hope is that the risen Christ will return to set the world to its rights. And who here doesn't long for a world put bright? That is the hope of a second advent. That is the next key event. Mm -hmm. This movement from harmony through disharmony to an ultimate harmony, uh, harmony an even higher one, that new shape is technically the shape of a comedy. <laughs> now, friends, in this Advent season of the churches here, we think of both Advents. As we live in between the first of them and the second of them. That's where we are in this unfolding comedy between the coming of Christ and his coming again. And so the question becomes this morning, what then may we expect? Well, to set this up with a contrast, let's think of how many in secular Australia think about what we should expect. Now, as philosopher Emmanuel Kant, who said there are four great questions that a person has to ask themselves. What may I know? What is man? What it is to be human? What ought I to do? And what may I hope for? What may I hope for? Well, for increasing numbers of Australians, especially younger ones, the answer to Kant's last question is not much. <laughs> For what I can discover, there is a loss of hope. For example, the hope of home ownership. The deposit for many just gets harder and harder to save for. So why bother? <laughs> Why not spend my money on accumulating experiences? And as for the planet, many an expert says it's bleak. The planet's future is global boiling, says the Secretary General of the United Nations. 
So we must act now, he says. For example, the ABC reported a young leader of climate protests in November saying these words. <clears throat> in these words, with climate change giving her so much to worry about, Nirvana says being involved in the action and standing with thousands of others who share their concerns helps her feel more positive. Quote, it makes me feel like, oh, it's not just me who has this fear of my, for my future. It's just not me with this kind of climate anxiety, she says. Climate anxiety. Hope has shrunk for so many. And our situation reminds me of what that great Jewish philosopher Martin Buber had to say about eras of habitation and eras of homelessness. What's the difference between the two? Buber wrote, in the former, eras of habitation, we live in the world as in a house, as in a home. In the latter, eras of homelessness, we live in a world as though it's an open field. And at times, it doesn't have four pegs with which to set up a tent. I take this to mean that in our context, for so many people, life is not safe. Life is not secure. And house does not feel the effects of bad weather, unlike a tent when the wind roars. But 1 Peter 1, which was read out to us so well, presents us with a people with a hope, a hope attached to a living Jesus Christ. It describes a people with a hope, a hope guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, a hope that ought to make a difference to our outlook, to our actions. No wonder, he says, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let me just now briefly review some of the key ideas that were in the passage that was read to us. Christians are described as people with a new birth a new life, people of hope, and hope matters, people with a heavenly inheritance, a future worth looking forward to. As the poet of the Victorian era, Robert Browning put it, the best is yet to be. A people having salvation, that is people rightly related to God, through Christ. People who may experience trials now. Life may not be easy. I'm sure many of us 
know from experience how true that is. People experiencing testing of character. But life can be challenging in a world dizzy with change. People are living by faith, not sight. But are people characterized by love and joy? And we need to know joy in the Bible is much deeper than happiness. It was in the 18th century, it seems, that happiness became the ideal that many saw human beings need to embrace. That continues to be the ideal for so many, doesn't it? But happiness depends upon health, upon pleasure, upon wealth. It depends upon circumstance. <laughs> but as I said, joy is deeper than nature. <laughs> it depends on relationship, not circumstance. Christian joy can survive persecution, sufferings of various kinds, because it's connected to someone in a relationship that death can't break. A relationship with the Apostle John and Peter called eternal life. A relationship with Jesus Christ, who defeated death. If we are those people, one Peter, one people, we are people who look back to Christ's first advent and look forward to his second as we live our part in the divine comedy. And then the question comes, how ought we to live? And Peter was alert to that question because he went on to write, as we heard, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, that is really alive, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, his second advent. He elaborates, on the one hand, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, for being in a relationship to God the Father means changes in a person's lifestyle. Evil is a no-go area. That way of life is to be past tense. But on the other hand, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy, because I'm holy. Put another way, live a life that exhibits God's character. God's pure character in all that you do. And interestingly enough, Peter quotes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus, a command to be holy that was addressed to God's Old Testament people as they left Egypt behind with the suppression on their journey in between reaching that land of milk and honey, Canaan. Just like those ancient Israelites, Peter is saying to his readers where to live in a way that was to make them and for us and to us different from the world in which they had left behind. So friends, what do we take away this morning? <laughs> By faith, embrace 
a Christian frame of orientation with its hope. Embrace the roadmap into the future which we find in our Bibles. <laughs> Believe our prayers. We had the Lord's Prayer this morning, and we have it in our church at St. Mark's Spotswood, every service. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, one of the lines is, your kingdom come. And the next one, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying that prayer ought to orient us to the future and fill us with hope and expectation. But that hope needs to be set on the right object of devotion. And that right object is a person, not just a set of explanatory ideas. <laughs> Therefore, with minds that are alert, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, the skeptic might say, well, I believe it if he turns up. I wonder if anyone's ever said something like that to you. I wonder if they really understand what they're asking for. Because asking God to turn up is asking for the end of human history. It's asking for the last judgment. <laughs> now, this hope that we have has met with skepticism from the start. It's not a new question. Peter's second letter shows that because he says in chapter 3, Scoffers will come. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Peter has an answer. Don't forget this. A thousand years is as a day with God. He's not slow keeping his promises, as some count slowness. It's an expression of divine patience. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but come to a change of mind about him. In other words, we live in an era of opportunity. Opportunity to get right with God. But we need to live with realism. And that realism, for those like you and me, in this part of the divine comedy in between, I think was captured so well by a sign I saw outside of a church in a place called Croydon Park in Sydney, a place that uh, Phil knows well. I think it's summed up biblical realism in a striking way. What did it say? God does not promise an easy journey, but a safe arrival. <laughs> not an easy journey, but a safe arrival. The older I get, the more relevant that sign becomes. The more relevant hope becomes. <laughs> because hope is vital to human flourishing, to your flourishing and my flourishing. That's something that Viktor Frankl found out 
that celebrated psychiatrist who survived the Holocaust in Europe. In his classic book, Man's Search for Meanings, although it was written in the 1940s, it's number one in its field on Amazon. So why is it still read? And read by so many, I mean, 84,000 ratings. Because he observed as a general rule in these camps that those who had no hope died. Those who had a hope beyond the camps survived. So friends, hope matters. Whether we are hopeful people or not matters. So when it comes to our faith, let us ask ourselves, have we embraced the right object of devotion? Have we embraced the right frame of orientation? Are we people of hope this morning, not despair? As they say, life stage matters. Uh, if I'm in my 20s, then the Christian hope is probably more and more in the background to my life. And life in this world and building a life brought to the foreground, like the young Christian couple whose wedding I attended recently. Somehow I don't think they're sitting around on their honeymoon thinking of the second coming. But if you're in your 70s or even older, that hope becomes more and more the foreground. That was so for Professor Frank Anderson, a brilliant Old Testament scholar who returned to Australia in his 70s and taught for a while at Ridley College, where I was the principal. I met him one day in the corridor, and I knew he'd been seriously ill. So I said, Frank, how are you? I heard that you are unwell. He replied, Graham, I've been... But it's nothing that a good resurrection wouldn't fix. <laughs> he was a man with a joyous Christian hope. A hope that matters. He was someone who embraced the Christian frame of orientation and lived like it. And believed in the Christ as his object of devotion. This Advent season provides us all with the opportunity to do just the same. For whatever our social setting is this morning, in which we live, whether it feels like a house or an open field, we have a home to go to. In the Heavenly Father's house, the lights are on. And the door is open. You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.